went for some chicken yesterday, Nando's imitation, and they had the same. Yesterday, what were you in? Yeah, late at night, and the Love the and exactly went out for dinner. Well, not for dinner, but still went out and uh, <laughs> moving house, bodies were battered. So they had the same song on repeat the whole time that we were in there. I felt so bad for the staff because imagine doing a ten-hour shift, and it's like this kind of. It's a kind of like really low level torture, yeah. isn't it? Like background music that is just incessant, repetitive, and annoying. Chinese water torture. <laughs> it's where they put someone on the floor and drop a drop, drip it. Yeah. yeah. Better than uh, is it, if the question is: Would you rather be waterboarded? Like so, really extreme, really short term. Are you recording this? Yep. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> really extreme, really short term, but probably over quite quickly. Or would you rather the kind of like quite low level, relatively speaking, but sustained torture? Mm. I think whatever answer you give, you would try it and be like, actually, that was terrible. I'll do the other one. <sighs> okay. <clears throat> Ready? Yep. What number is it? Um, what number did you, have you put up the one that you recorded? Not yet. I'm just about to. Okay. What number? Do you know what number that would? Well, be the one that's after the one that's on iTunes, <laughs> I assume. That's how these things work. That's how numbers work. Podcast Jen. I'm not calling you Jen. Um, <laughs> I know that's not your name. Uh, so this will be episode 29. 29. Okay. There's quite a few of these. Nearly one a month. If somebody were to start listening to them now, well, I mean, it's February, isn't it? So it's a leap year, so we'll ignore that. But if you were to start listening to it on a regular 30-day month, you'd have one a day. Isn't that lovely? One a day. Just like the multivitamin. Mm. Um, <laughs> yep. Just like, just like that. Just like that In one. In fact, probably better for you than multivitamin. <laughs> I think there's a lot of... It's uh, a claim. There's a lot of bollocks in the first couple of episodes, though. Right. <laughs> yeah. bet we've also cheated, because there's episode one, episode two, and then episode 2.5. That's not cheating. That's, if anything... That's legit. That's like we've got underplaying. Yeah, I've just realised that it's the opposite of cheating. Yeah, isn't it? God. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Propane Fitness Podcast, episode twenty-nine. Today, we're going to discuss Shako, who is a Russian strength coach. Uh, we just came back from his seminar, and we want to discuss some of the wisdom that he shared some of the stuff about programming that is applicable to the general trainer as well as the competitive powerlifter, everything in between and what matters, what doesn't, and how you can apply the simplest rules for the most dramatic results. Hey, Johnny. Hello. Um, yeah, so, well, we'll just, I suppose the best way to start is to just discuss a little bit about what, is it Shiko or Shaco? I say Shiko funny that we went to see him for several hours came away not knowing how to pronounce his name well that the word was never actually mentioned 
That's true. Which is odd. So anyway, Shiko, Shaco, whatever you want to call it, Boris. Let's call him Boris. Boris. It was all. It was quite a legit seminar in that it was in this um, sort of tin of a building with uh, <laughs> with with him. He had a, an interpreter, so he was just speaking in Russian to us, and then the interpreter told us uh, he, she might have just been whacked lyricing and not actually understood what he was saying at all. I I actually quite like that, you know, because. It made it very so that there was there was parts when I thought it was getting more complex than I was expecting. Like I think I thought I'm gonna be able to sit here more or less turn off and just be kind of soothed by Boris's Russian accent. But actually, like when he gets into the advanced stage programming, I was like, right, I'm I'm actually having to pay attention. And the way that she was having to explain it in quite simple English in quite a segmented way, made it quite accessible, the information. Quite digestible, yeah. And yeah. It, was, it was also presented in, like, Russian temperatures. <laughs> it was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the added realism. <laughs> so, if you guys don't know, Boris Shako has um, produced a lot of, was it 11 gold medalists? Something like that. Um, I think he's got some gold medals himself in things. Right. So he's, he's generally a bit of a monster. Yeah. Well, he used to coach the Russian um, weightlifting and powerlifting teams. And anyone who's even vaguely familiar with either of those sports will know that the Russians um, tend to clean the floor, really, in most kind of international events when it comes to strength sports. Um, you can speculate as to why. Um, I know that they've all been asked to kindly not compete in... Um, no, is it the upcoming Olympics <laughs> for, for drug-related accusations? But well, you know, what, what the Russians do. I, I think what Boris has particularly, he's got a dairy farm round behind his house, <laughs> and he produces vats of yogurt so that uh, his athletes can then dip their competitors in the yogurt and rub them all over the table. <laughs> That's a reference to two podcasts ago. If anybody doesn't get that, I <laughs> was struggling for something to say when describing what Brett Gibbs did to Owen Hubbard and for some reason described it as dipping him in yogurt and wiping him on a table. So that's, that's, so that's what that means. Um, but yeah, so Boris does, doesn't really own a farm as far as we know. He might do. He, I, I know that he he's into well. gardening from his Instagram. So. Is he really into yeah. gardening? <laughs> that's fantastic. I love how we're already following him on Instagram. Um, so yeah, he's a he's a pretty serious um, powerlifting coach. Knows his stuff. Um, and the first half of the seminar was him basically telling us all the stuff that he knows, um, all the theory um, behind how he would go about programming um, for. I mean, this is powerlifting specific as well. Not probably not as applicable to weightlifting, although as Harrison was telling us, um, Harrison being one of our coaches, for those of you who don't know, who's more into weightlifting than Yusuf and I, was telling us that a lot of what Boris does is actually linked and related to weightlifting programming as well. But anyway, so this was discussing mainly powerlifting programming. Um, and he went into basically how he would set um, kind of total volume and absolute and average intensity across months and years and goes from kind of the bigger picture. So how often somebody's competing all the way down to months. So he tends to program in four week cycles um, and then down to kind of what you do within a session or within a week. Um, so I, I guess Yusuf, do you have any 
overarching more immediate kind of impressions from the seminar yesterday yeah i, I think the, the main lesson that i learned was really useful was just to take a big step back from programming focusing less on the the individual session or the culmination of even the number of sessions within a week but mm. to look at the <clears throat> so the way that boris um starts out with his programming is looks at the total number of monthly lifts between 50 and 100 percent of the athletes one rep max that are performed over the month um he's got a number of selections based on the athlete's recovery capacity he said that there's no formula or anything it's just really based on the individual coaching relationship and uh, he looks at their age their recovery ability their training age as well um you know training experience and body weight as well so general rules were that younger and lighter athletes seem to recover faster than the heavier ones um and uh someone who has poor form for example wouldn't wouldn't be able to recover as well um so yeah so that, the, the interesting part as well with what he was saying with that is i think he said at one point that one of the biggest mistakes somebody could make was take a shiko program off the internet and follow it blindly um which i think is what most people who ha have had experience with any of shiko's routines will have done um but yeah as yusuf was saying a lot of his programming is done on an, on an individual basis and he's got what 10 world level elite athletes that he programs for probably spends hours a week doing their programming um but yeah it's all done kind of with an average and fairly low average intensity so not much not as much weight on the bar as you'd expect quite high volume um and with quite a lot of work spent doing things like banded squats and squats with chains and benches to a board um, stuff that is typically associated with, I guess, Westside Barbell. And I think a lot of, for those of you familiar with Westside Barbell, Louis Simmons will know that a lot of his methods um, are related to kind of Russian programming. So that would make sense. Um, so yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's kind of the highest, the high level overview. Um, but as well, Boris spent a lot of time going into a lot of detail um, about how you would go about building a program. Um, using you know different formulas to work out various metrics that you can use to track and monitor your training. Different, uh, he had various tables and charts that discussed how you might go about waving the the rep patterns and how you might go about arranging the number of lifts per week. And I guess we wanted to just chat a little bit today about whether we think for for most people that's either overkill or is is that something that everybody should be doing? So, yeah, you said what do you think? So, um... One thing that's, that's interesting that he kind of compared his own approach to the American approach, which was that he doesn't seem to like linear block periodization, which tends to yeah. be kind of a standard uh, Western approach, and that he varies the number of month, number of weekly lifts between weeks to allow the athlete to recover in between. Um, and also the another main focus really was that it's not about trying to continually test your strength or continually trying to hit PBs and that during the volume phase, you're effectively trying to almost trick the athlete into getting in as many lifts <laughs> as they can. Um, and that yeah. if you give someone two hard weeks in a row or a very hard session, all that it's going to do is kill their psychological motivation to come in the next time. Um, he had a few stories about his, I think his analogy was, uh, your grandmother asks you to bring two bottles of water without spilling. 
this is like the athletes. You must bring them to the competition <laughs> without spilling them. Um, <laughs> was he was he African? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to. I had oh, to. Dear. Yeah, a lot of it was kind of how do I arrange the you know, all he asks the, the athlete to do is kind of bring their best game, isn't it, every day and uh, give it everything. And he uses all these kind of setups to con them into doing as many reps with, with kind of 70% as possible. Um, but yeah, I, I, like, I think my I came away from it thinking that, you know, uh, for a long time I've not tracked or, or thought about my training to that level. Um, it was meticulous uh, in the way that he tracks everything calculates mm. all of the um, relative and average intensity and volume between weeks, uh, from week to week, and then between months. He's also tracking every lift on any squat or squat variation, bench, bench variation, etc., over 50%, which I think, again, most people, um, and including what I would do for my clients all the way from average average trainer to competing powerlifter, would be track and monitor the work sets. So... Um, you, know, you pick a percentage that you want to be working with that day and you track that volume rather than tracking everything from 50%. Um, so he does some stuff that, in my opinion, was different to um, to the stuff that I've read, the stuff that I've learned and, and what I personally do. Um, and I, I think the thing that struck me just listening to the way he was saying it and I guess watching how everyone reacted was that when someone of that stature says things that are kind of quite dogmatic and black and white, like you should be doing this. I think it's quite easy to take it as take it as given and think, right, okay, I need to be tracking number of lifts, average intensity, relative intensity, um, number of lifts per month, per week, waving my loading, waving my reps. And I think really, in my opinion, that is maybe relevant for Russian world powerlifting team. And, and probably people who are wanting to get to that level, but I think a lot a lot of us can get by with much simpler approaches. So I think that's really the key thing that we wanted to talk about today, which was um, how much does it apply to to us, to me and you, mm. and to yeah. So um, listening to Boris has to be taken within the context of who he's training and when he says this must be done. And actually, um, he wasn't particularly dogmatic about many things you know if, if we're saying uh, Harrison asked him how would you determine the athlete's initial level of tolerance for volume and he said it's you really it's by trial and error and by knowing the client and knowing the um, developing the relationship with them and it's done on an individual basis and it's not like there was simply dogmatic rules or anything so mm. yeah you've got to see that within the context and then also tracking all of these numbers Yes, it is useful for the elite lifter, but also the elite lifter has a number of other things. They've got a strong support network. They've got that as their full-time job. Um, they have probably minimized the other stresses in their life. There's maybe drugs involved and um, everything else is just aligned to the start. And they've got 100% adherence as well. So when you're tracking your own diet and training with that level of statistical rigor, <laughs> it's 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 maybe um, overkill if your adherence isn't one hundred percent, or if there are other factors like working long nights or or other things that um, 
maybe need to be addressed first. What do you think? Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. And and when the three of us were sat at the, in that seminar and before, you know, in in the breaks, we were discussing, you know, how relevant is this for somebody who is say, you know, has like a one forty squat, a one eighty deadlift, and a one hundred bench. You know, like someone who's been training for a bit and wants to take it to the next level, but isn't necessarily sure where to go. And I think there's a fairly common framework that's that's thrown around the internet um, when it comes to programming for athletes. And that is, you know, are you progressing? Yes, no. If yes, then there's no need to change anything. If no, then are you recovered? Yes, no. Or are you recovering? Yes, no. If no, then you need to be looking at either reducing the total volume, reducing total intensity, or taking a deload of one to one week or even longer, you know, like myself and Yusuf recently went through a period where we've taken, you know, and Yusuf several months, two months. Is that right? Off training. Yeah. Uh, four longer months. than that. Four yeah. months. Wow. Um, so I took six weeks. Um, cause I was at a point where my training wasn't progressing. So if no, if you're not, if you're not progressing and you're not recovering, then that's the option you need to look at. If you're not, pro- if you're not progressing, but you are recovered from the amount of volume you do, then that's the point at which you look at taking, the next step of advancement rather than saying, right, I've done five by five installed with five by five. So, so Shaco CMS and I need to be tracking number of lifts and my average intensity and programming like a Russian world-class powerlifter. So I think there's many, many steps. And I think probably what Shaco is providing is the, like the Rolls Royce of programming. Like it could not really get more meticulous than that. Um, well, I mean, maybe it can, but not certainly not that I've seen. Um, and I, I guess Mike Touchere with his RPE and tracking bar speed maybe takes it a level beyond. But I think overall, if you were to get any more meticulous, it would start to become, um, you know, like get a hobby. Yeah, get another hobby. Whether you had your milk and your tea that day, <laughs> uh, how long, how many calories you burn tying your shoelaces, like atmospheric pressure and <laughs> wind. <laughs> morning heart race, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, I think that, that kind of framework is, is certainly how I've made a lot of my decisions with my training. Um, just because it's very, it's very black and white. And I know, I know a lot of people are maybe thinking, well, if I'm not progressing, but I am, I am recovering. What is the next step? Um, and I think from there, what I, again, what I would tend to look at for somebody when I'm programming for them is, what is the total work? What is the total volume load done on a lift across a week? So weight times sets times reps across your entire week for squat. And then you want to be, if that is an amount of work that you're not progressing from, you need to be looking to increase that number. Now that then comes down to your schedule. So if that means doing an extra two sets and you can't fit that in on the day you train squat, then you look, need to look to train squat twice a week. And you kind of organically progress in this manner where you see guys like Lane Norton and Bryce Lewis who are squatting three, four times a week with serious loads. They haven't just arrived at that point by chance. That has been an organic progression at which squatting once a week, twice a week, three times a week stopped working and they arrived at those decisions using that framework. They may have not consciously done that, but ultimately to progress, you need to be adding total work in some way. And that's really when you look at some of Chico's charts, when he's talking about 300 lifts a month, 400 lifts a month, 500 lifts a month, and then getting more complex beyond that, he's still applying that overall framework. He's just going down to a granular level when he's thinking about those decisions. So I think somewhere in between where 
you know that you do have to add in more work, um, but you still need to know or have some reference point for how much work you're doing right now and how much work you need to add um, rather than kind of haphazardly throwing in extra volume or extra yeah. frequency without kind of having a, a defined endpoint. Or and, and also, I think it's very easy to do a set to failure, <clears throat> do a heavy set, and feel like it was more work because it was hard. And that doesn't necessarily relate to the, you know, that that made that it's, it's a higher stress on your body, but that may not be more work done. Over the that, that was a, a great point that you made yesterday, wasn't it, after the seminar, that you didn't think that there was consideration for if you're doing eight singles with 100 kilos or a set of eight with 100 kilos, that's a different stress psychologically, physiologically, because the eighth rep of, of that full set is going to have a different impact on you than eight perfectly formed singles. Um, and it didn't seem like, at least from what Boris was explaining, that that was something that he necessarily thought about all the time. I know he gave some consideration to how he wave-loaded his reps in, in a session, but um, if you're doing singles and triples and doubles, as most powerlifters would, you're gonna, and you suddenly throw in sets of 12, that person's going to have a bad time. Oh for at least a couple of weeks. Yeah. So exactly. that's it. Yeah. That's something else to think about as well, I guess. So in terms of managing these plateaus, um, the, the options are to, to make it as, as simple as possible and not have to worry about the intricacies of it. <clears throat> there are programs that you can get online or even following the propane protocol. Um, there are ways that you can introduce more volume systematically and um, that, will, that will help you. If things like that still aren't working, then hiring a coach is always very useful, particularly a coach that uh, will manage these things around, that will take you within the context of that you are a normal person and that um, you're not an elite athlete. And so their programming will then manage it around your weekends, around work, around studies, and uh, they'll make allowances for that, but still do what needs to be done to increase the amount of volume that you need to do to continue progressing. And that's really where we thought that, um, although Boris has produced some fantastic athletes, these, especially in Russia, where the athletes have a very strong support network and are funded, the compared to the people who he was speaking to in, in Leeds, all have presumably full-time jobs or, or studying. And some of the lessons may apply, but not all of them to their own programming. Yeah, um, I was just looking at the name of a study that I read. Um, I think it is... There's two studies, one by um, Bartholomew J.B. et al. Um, showing that generally people who... Experience, and this is just fitting in with what Yusuf was saying about you know life getting in the way of optimal programming. Um, people who experience more life stress... Um, over the course of a program was shown to adapt poorly to the same load, which I know may seem obvious to those of you who have thought about this kind of thing, but I think for a long time around, you know, exams and um, you have an argument with your girlfriend or boyfriend and then go and try and train and then wonder why you're especially beat up that week. You know, I think stress to a degree is equated um, in terms of how well you deal with it and you need to consider these things when programming. Um, and then there's another one, um, by McNamara and Stern, I believe, um, which looked 
two examples um, where they programmed for two groups of people. One one group had three options to perform on any given day um, with three degrees of difficulty, and the other group had just a fixed amount of work to do. And the group with the varying degrees of difficulty progressed better um, over over the weeks that the, that the study was performed. So showing that again more flexibility in that approach allowed for better progression. Um, and that's a downside with fixed fixed programming or, or following programs like Shiko or anything blindly um, without a consideration for the fact that you are a real person and not a Russian athlete. Um, which, yeah, as Yusuf was saying, you know, especially if you want to have go out and get drunk on the weekend and then trying to hit a volume PB on squats on Monday morning, like it's probably not going to happen. Um, That's fine you need to studies, by the way. Yeah, it's well, it's it's something that interests me. Well, obviously, that's, that's something uh, that, that Boris was saying as well. That none of the programs that are kind of available on the internet are taken just out of the box, and they're always adapted to mm. the individual based on a huge number of things. And uh, if you are interested in more about um, kind of the real life effects of uh, or how to manage your diet and training around major life stresses, uh, if you look at our YouTube channel, one uh, my was it my most recent video log? Uh, the one before that talks about how um, losing my dad last year affected my diet and training. And it certainly, even though the program on paper wasn't particularly difficult or particularly stressful, I was feeling a lot more beat up than I usually, than I would expect from that level of training volume. And so I really, I think I was maybe underestimating the physiological effect or the, the, the physical stress that something like that can add to an already demanding training program. So the advice is all in there, uh, mainly talks about kind of riding the ebbs and flows and um, using training as, uh, as something to enhance your life. And if you do have to cut back on it at any time, then to, to really listen to what your body is saying and run with it. So I guess we've We've given lots of uh, lots of thoughts and, and points, but I guess it'd be good to, to round up with some some actionable steps. Um, so, in terms of, I, I guess the summary of what we learned from the Shaco seminar was that um, a lot of the top level guys have some principles that are used, but generally they have somebody who is managing every aspect of their training on a continuous and reactive basis, depending on like what the athlete needs. And most of us either need a coach to do that or don't have time to do it ourselves like we just don't have the resources to invest and then additionally it's probably not necessary for the vast majority of people looking to progress so i think things that are relevant to track in your training are volume load which is sets times reps times load and then just a rating of how well or how poorly you think you're recovering from your program so if as yusuf was saying you know you're going through a period of your life where stress is high for whatever reason um and you're not managing things like your perceived recovery, then it can be difficult to spot them, these things in advance. You know, if you suddenly start noticing, let's say you, you were to track arbitrarily how easy or difficult out of 10 you found a session, um, just a, a rating out that you would score yourself um, and then look at it across the week. And you started suddenly to notice that, that those numbers jump from a six to a nine that might be an indication to think, well, you know what, what else is happening in my life? Maybe I should pull back. Um, if you track that plus volume load, you've got a pretty good indication of, am I recovering? Am I progressing? And then 
some some variables as we've already discussed that you could look to change yeah and these life stresses can uh, act as, as very real equivalents to an additional amount of, of volume load that's placed placed on you and they're going to affect your perceived difficulty of a session as well as your ability to recover from those sessions mm. so yeah i think that's that's it from uh, this weekend very very useful lots of lessons to be learned and uh let us know if you have any questions in the comments on Facebook, um, post on our wall, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. You can send us an email, whatever you fancy. Send us a letter. <laughs> Telegram, pigeon, yeah. anything. Anything. <laughs> All right, guys, that's everything from this week and this episode of the Pro Fitness Podcast. And we'll speak to you soon.